Welcome to 21st Century Saints Live, our podcast and live stream series for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We were just talking about my attention seeking Husky and he also wanted to say hey. Um, Yeah, for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, those who are affiliated with, adjacent to or have an interest in the church here in the United Kingdom. And Alana, where? Around the world. And around the world. And there is a lot happening in Mormonism at the moment. We uh, we are we have been super busy. Um I am really excited that next week we're going to do finally our update episode to tell you everything that has been happening. Um I was just explaining to my my co-host and guest here that as happens every week, my husky <laughs> chooses this moment to say hey I know you can't chase me right now I know that you're busy and I know all you can do is glare so he's picking this moment to uh, insert himself into my life and yeah so I apologize I am going to deal with it while I get Alana to say hey do you want to do you want to tell everybody hi and maybe shout out to our wonderful audience and donors and stuff. Yep, absolutely. Hi, everyone. Good to have you with us. Um, So again, just want to thank all of our donors thus far who have donated and helped us to keep this podcast going. We are really, really grateful for every penny and it is put to great use. Um, I'll just put the link up on the screen. It is in Facebook and YouTube. Um, If you have a spare few pounds, we would really appreciate it. Um, again, if you're not able or in a position to stop laughing, Jane, <laughs> if you're not in a position to donate, you could help us out by sharing our podcast and also by subscribing to both our YouTube and our Facebook channels. Thank you so much. We literally, the husky is being chased round our house right now. Um, my kids came up and uh, yelled at the dog which is what you do fortunately I was muted um but it was the most it was the most Scottish specifically Glaswegian insult that he I just want to share with the world he shouted Alana you get this hoy bam <laughs> calling someone a bam I what would you say but that's like calling someone like an, an idiot yeah, um probably. Yeah, something like that. So Hoy is hey and Bam is an idiot. So and he just did it in such a and you all missed it. So I had to recreate the moment. Anyway, oh my goodness, our life is chaos. Our life is chaos today. Um Alana, if you need to jump out at any point, Alana's holding space for a family member who just now who's super poorly. We are shouting out specifically to you. Get well, our lovely, lovely princess. We're thinking about you. Um, and we're sending all our blessings for some good news and a very speedy recovery. So we're thinking about you, girl, and all the family who are affected. We love you. Um, so tonight we have a guest who we have been hoping to get on actually since pretty much our early days, since way before we even actually got to meet in person. Um, the wonderful David Shepherd has been a bit of a voice of UK Mormonism at times, and uh, his his story has been, been shared once or twice by media outlets. Um, we are delighted to welcome onto our show 
David Shepherd. Do you want to say hey and do you want to tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what your background is? Sure. Um, yeah. No, so my, yeah, my name is David Shepherd. I'm a, um, a counsellor in the UK. And yeah, I, I've, I have a background uh, in Mormonism, in the sort of the mainstream Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And um, yeah, the, the referring to media outlet stuff. Um, yeah, in, in, so in 2018, um, I was on with um, Peter Bleakley from the Britbengers. Um, uh, and his name fails me fails me now. Um, Stephen Stephen Bloor. Um, yeah, we're, we're talking about uh, masturbation in the church um, and the kind of the culture around um, uh, one one on one interviews with bishops. Sort of during the height of um, Sam Young and the um, protect uh, the protect the children campaign. And yeah, so it was weird. Spoke about masturbation on TV. On the BBC (laughs) and like morning breakfast shows are not well known for talking about (laughs) masturbation or any sort of you know it's the BBC they're quite they're quite buttoned up I mean they they do edgy stuff but you would expect to hear that way later on and so I, you know, I uh, I remember opening my phone, you know, because when the Sam the Sam Young stuff was hitting the headlines, um, we knew that in the background it was about to sort of start breaking in the UK, and that UK media was about to start picking it up. And I had real concerns for how my best friend Alana was was going to be processing some of this stuff and so yeah I'm sort of looking at my phone app constantly looking to see what's happening and so yeah your your face is one that I recognize even even before because I think if I go to the BBC News app and there's a tab which I have which is specific Mormonism and if I scroll down to the bottom your face is still there so it's you know it's still it's still current it's still relevant and it's fascinatingly one-on-one interviews have just never stopped being relevant and for you to have you know be part of that moment where you and Peter Bleakley are talking about masturbation live on the BBC was golden it was so well handled and they give you loads of time to sort of talk about it and it was very sensitively handled so yeah, thank you for being that voice. So would you talk to us a little bit about what your Mormonism background is? Were you a convert? Did you, did you grow up in the church? What what did that look like for you? Um, so I've always just thought myself as having a fairly traditional like Mormon background. Um, this, my, my parents were both converts to the church um, when they were in their, um, in their teens. My mum was 19 and my dad was 13. And um, yeah, I just you know, I'm I'm the the fifth the fifth child, so sort of a well-established sort of Mormon home. Um, by the time I was sort of growing up, and um, yeah, I mean, church was always kind of boring, I suppose, as, as a child. Um, but it was fine. It was just kind of something that you did. Um, I got to my my teen years, and um, I started to 
realize that the kind of the lifestyle of, of Mormonism was something that would actually kind of, depending on how you look at it, you know, impede how you would, in, you know, interact with other people. So just, you know, you get to 14, you know, and, and you'd be at a friend's birthday and everyone's having their first beer you know and you know wouldn't necessarily be a part of that but you know you, you feel you're starting to feel like a bit of an outsider um and uh so i kind of realized for me like i, I needed to figure this out because it's it just it didn't feel like the kind of church that you could kind of comfortably be in kind of halfway you know in my mind it, you kind of yeah it needed to be all all in or all, all out as far as I can, I was well, concerned, that, haven't they? That you can't have one foot in the church and one foot out. That's always something I was taught growing up. You're either all yeah. in, or you can't, you can't be part in, part out. Yeah, and the thing is, and people, people do do it, and it's great. You know, like if if they're able to sort of manage manage that. For my my brain, I, I couldn't, and I think I also had, um, I I grew up going to a Baptist, um. It's like a Baptist youth group, like alongside going to like youth and stuff, which I actually I liked a lot more. Yeah. It was a lot more. It was a lot more fun, and um, you know, I I kind of go in there with a chip on my shoulder, just like ah, but I have the real truth. Um, mm-hmm. but but it was like, but but also it kind of introduced that 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 conflict as well when they would speak about kind of traditional Christianity and and that threat of hell looming over really in, in kind of you know it was kind of made in su- subtle ways that you know you need you need to be thinking about you know where where you fit in god's eye sort of thing and so it was quite it was in my my brain that i needed to figure this out because we could be wrong and i could be going to hell in a handbasket like <laughs> you know it you know, so it, there was there was a more of an urgency, I think, that I felt in my teens to to really know whether or not this was right because I didn't want to I didn't want to end up, you know, my feet on hot. We coals. didn't we didn't really so much have scouting programs um, affiliated with the church here in the UK. So it was you know the duty to God program was was what you would have gone through as a young man. What were your sort of experiences of Doing the duty to God program, um, how how did some of those things shape what your experiences were? What, what was it like for you? Um, for me personally, the, the duty to God thing um, it didn't really have much of a impact at all. Um, I think mainly because the this is my guess, but because I I, I had I had young people who were above me in age and below me sort of a couple of years either way so i was like the one deacon's quorum president to them by default the teacher's quorum president and you know of no one you know it was just me um so there was a kind of i don't know like when i would read the the book um it i felt quite disconnected from it partly because it felt like it was this group effort of trying to like live this certain way and you and your quorum are going to do this and um i think i also I was quite resistant to the um, the Americanized aspect to Mormonism. I think I didn't. It, it always felt uncomfortable with um, just just aspects of you know whatever stereotype I had I had of America. It was this very cheesy, quite mm-hmm. disconnected, and, and I, I kind of felt like that. It 
I think at the time I felt like Duty to God was the sort of a program which they did in America and they kind of would bring it over here, but it didn't really make sense. I think I think nowadays it, it's just it it's it's different. Like it's it, there's more of a spiritual, I guess, um, thing to it rather than just like mm. a, a lot of tick box exercises, which I felt it was. I just I kind of thought like it was another school book, you know, but for church. Yeah. Yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. One of the things that we've been trying to do <clears throat> is we're trying to um, collate, collect, uh, have a look at the the history of um, what these books looked like from when they were first introduced to the present day and so the stuff that we've been able to gather the stuff that we've been sent and people have been really wonderful and you know included in it you know the stuff that they would write in their books and mm. we're really struggling to get duty to god books because the young men seem to have not had quite so much of a connection to That's them as the young women did the young women really use them almost to sort of journal and it's a lot of it is based on um authority so you know we i i i'm so uh i'm so happy i got to learn this about the priesthood and here's how i can sustain these young men and Mm. help them to go on a mission whereas the young men have all of this authority and so you kind of know it all anyway right so yeah a book can tick boxes it's like yeah i i just i there's a two totally different dynamics happening which is fascinating to me so Mm. if our audience have any any examples of duty to god books and you can redact whatever you like but i we are we would love to we would love to see them um Mm. so that we can complete them i will say that the i think that they did there was an updated version i think maybe when i was about 17 18 Mm -hmm. roughly so like 2007 8 um and that was like i said the more kind of what i'd say kind of like the spiritual interpretation more of a focus on that and that was yeah that that was the less comfortable reading of when it you know you, you you kind of read about um more about sort of specifics about the law of chastity and how that was to be lived and just you know the the sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach just <laughs> every time I'm reading certain parts I'm like oh man this is bad this is bad <laughs> asking a young man to talk about their feelings about anything <laughs> it's, not, it's not necessarily gonna go well no <laughs> it's yeah I have to think about my feelings oh that's awkward and uncomfortable mm-hmm. and we'll yeah talk about it yeah. I mean, it, but it could be such a healthy thing, right? It it, it could be. Yeah, in the, in the right environment. In the right environment, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, where where do you sit with church today? What what happens between you grew up in church and where you are right now? Okay, so I went on. Um, so I, I kind of found my faith um, through the, especially for youth programs the efy um massive conference um where there were i think the first one they did was there was like about 1100 kids there it was a massive event for the uk especially um it was the first time i felt really connected with other people who are mormons because again i said you know with the age difference and and everything you know i struggled to kind of feel connected to other kids as you know as a member of the church um and i kind of had experiences there that were 
I consider to be quite, you know, sort of spiritual and, you know, I felt really connected with other people and just the environment, you know, is kind of revving, revving you up sort of thing. Um, but I, I don't want to downplay it in that, you know, for me at the time, it was a deeply personal thing that, that moved me and shaped, shaped my decisions and the way I, um, I looked at the world afterwards. Mm. So once I, once I sort of gained a testimony of the church, I then realized, ah, oh, that means I have to go on a mission because I, I had a, something I was always reluctant um, and, and really didn't like about church culture was this pressure to go on a mission uh, because I've always been very shy, really, like when I was younger, especially. And so, you know, when people would make the joke, oh, that's a good missionary handshake, I, I used to get so mad because they just felt like that I didn't have a choice. Um, but then when I did realize, you know, I believed in the church, I didn't have a choice in a different way, which is that, oh, I guess I need to go now. Um, so I went to, uh, I was called to the Germany, um, Germany Hamburg mission, became Berlin mission, um, served the full mission, was there two years. Um, and I, um, you know, wouldn't spend too much time time on that but you know it was difficult the good good and bad to be taken from it um but yeah i got home and you know felt very much adrift when when i got back um i really didn't have much of a direction at all because everything had kind of built up to that moment of going on a mission and then suddenly i didn't have a job and you know it was just a bit tough to get work and and everything and so just did the usual things I, you know I, I, I met someone um you know we you know we got engaged fairly quickly like we'd sort of known each other and were friends you know for about a year um and then we yeah became engaged you know after a few months really of being together and then about six months after that we got married and and sealed in the temple and it was kind of around not long after we were married um you know we didn't have any work at the time it was just very very difficult i didn't really have much of an education on time you know on terms mm. of schooling and everything so i was just kind of going for just your everyday you know shop jobs or you know whatever i could get cleaning jobs um so i had a period where i was unemployed we we're both un unemployed for a while and um i you know i i experienced what i kind of call a, like a disconnect from god like the usual things that i would do you know going to church and praying and reading scriptures going to activities um you know that that return missionary thing just just wasn't wasn't there anymore like i wasn't feeling like there was any kind of connection to it um which was worrying and I didn't understand it and during that time where I was trying to double down and to figure out what was kind of going on with me um, I I stumbled across um, things about the church history that um, I, th I thought was so ridiculous you know when I read it and it was just, it was about Joseph Smith and uh, polyandry and um, th you know it was just you know, and then I found out it was it was actually true. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's crazy. And then it's like, 
it's the age-old question, you know, for that, if I didn't know about that, what else don't, don't I know about? So and can so, I ask, where, where are you finding sure. out this stuff? Where are you hearing about polyandry? Are you listening to podcasts? Are you going on the internet? What? How did that happen? Um, I think originally my partner came across something. I don't know where she had seen it, um, but we had, she pointed it out to me and I didn't, because I wasn't in a good headspace, I just, I didn't want to go near it. I was just like, oh, well, that can't be right. Okay, well, whatever, you know it's fine there'll be an answer for it um and then yeah i came across mormon stories um eventually and that was john freaking delen he comes into every story <laughs> yeah yeah um, and it was just like mind-blowing really it, it was a very because of my the, my my marriage was struggling from from the get-go you know, it wasn't a great pairing for for either of us. Um, so having that and having all oh, the challenge with our faith as well, her being um, she was a convert, to, a, new, a new convert to the church as well. So I felt extra responsibility there um, of just carrying that, you know, faithful torch. Um, but ultimately, both of our faith unraveled, and um, I, I clung onto mormon stories just for dear life just hearing mm. other people process all of this stuff was was just it was my only safe space that i had at the time uh, because i i didn't feel like i could i could safely talk about it with anyone else and when i kind of tried to it would get shut down or you know there'd be some kind of spin on it you know i would speak to priesthood leaders um who didn't know about the stuff um or thought they knew about it and would kind of recommend things but you know it, it's it was just it, very un unhelpful and i um i'd say probably about after, after about eight months you know I'd, I'd sort of towards the end of it i came across the ces letter as well um you know and just sort of summarized kind of how i was feeling really about it um and then that was kind of that was it and and i i realized that i i couldn't believe in it anymore like it was i i was trying to do everything i could in my in my in my mind to to make it work and i just couldn't it was it was impossible um and i i sent a i sent a, a private um message to about i'd say probably about 30 people i think there's like family and, and close friends just to let them know that i was kind of having this experience and um this is kind of where i've ended up and i still love you i hope you still love me you know it's just this is just kind of where i am and um you know i'd i'd i've been not majorly public this is much before masturbation on bbc you know just the odd stuff that would come up you know john delin getting excommunicated i would i would comment about how i wasn't happy about that um on facebook but nothing really that that major um but i got the i got the sense really that i had become somewhat of a pariah i think people found um my speculation anyway you know it i, I got the sense that people found me quite an unsafe person because i was openly questioning things and, and 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 being critical of 
certain decisions that were, that were being made in the church. Um, and the majority, say the majority, it's hard to quantify really, but you know, I would say the majority of, of people who I knew, who, who I interacted with at members of the church just stopped talking to me. Um, which was it was an already very isolating time with my my marriage not being in a good place either um i think i just felt like i'd lost everything um can i, I ask you about about that um sure. so i make it really clear so often because it keeps coming back and and hitting me again and again that so many times my experience as a convert makes me completely unable to understand what someone who has been raised in the church or mm. who has had that sort of more lengthy experience than I had. Um, it's just a very different world for you. So mm. whenever someone would say, um, you feel like a pariah, you, you feel like you've been dropped, no one's really listening, your words, you know, it, you, you've sort of been expelled some type of soft shunning maybe you know that mm. kind of thing I, yeah. I I struggled with it I am on in fact even at my core I think I still struggle with it because what's happening in my head is I know so I, you know I'm going to use the example of Alana I know the example of Alana hold on I know everybody loves you I, they have mm. been your word family since you were born and your word family if they were listening to this would have you know would be like no no that's that's not how it was I certainly I've, I'm always there for them but we just don't you, there's some kind of excuse that is absolutely not hey where did my word just go this is this is a you thing not a word thing and mm. I really struggle because I've seen that it's true. I've seen that mm. it that it happens and I don't understand it. You know, so Alana would would be like, you know, this is something I've experienced. And I'm like, oh, okay, come on, name names. Mm. What are we talking about here? Come <laughs> no, are you yeah. sure this isn't just your perspective that you've put up your your walls and the relationship is maybe a little bit different? Is is this a you thing? So I, I want to ask you a little bit about that. Um sure. what what do you think your word would make of it? And yeah, if I was if I was to really push and say, "Oh, come on, your your word didn't really dump you, really." Mm. Tell tell me what that is actually like. What what does a word need to know about what happens? Um, I I think I get the sense um that there. Trying to think of a good way to put this. So. I, th there was just a noticeable difference between my what I would call maybe my social interaction with you know the majority of people who I spoke to were members of the church at that point you know especially off off my mission where before my mission actually the main people in my life were non-members they, they were friends from school and, and college and stuff so uh, you know the distance of my mission cr also created that distance from them so I relied more on the 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 fellowship of the saints you know the, the my ward or, or you know the the ysa and my mission my mission friends you know i'd made so many mission friends and missionaries that um that i just loved and thought you know they were just the best and so 
you you just you notice these things when you uh, just whether it's people not responding not ever responding you know there's, there's like waiting a bit of time and it's just gone now mm. you know you don't you don't hear from them you don't you know it, it, it sounds really like childish but you know people don't comment on your things anymore you know they don't they don't like some of your things they they don't you know there's not that odd message out out of the blue to be like hey how are you doing and and i think even you know towards when my mental health really you know started to to dip at its lowest um i think that there was just a i think that there's just there's just this feeling i i feel of of fear when someone when someone is openly challenging things about the faith um or decisions that are made or policies um it it causes people to to worry because we've all seen people that leave the church and that that image we get you know the lazy learners the the ones who just couldn't be asked you know to to go go the whole hog you know all, the whole narrative around people that leave is is disgusting you know it's really mm. it's one of the worst things about about um you know i mean historically and modern day things that come from the leaders mouths is the way that they talk about people who leave yeah um and so i think that just that that carries into people and people become concerned and and, and i think when you have return missionaries you know the people who you, you kind of look to is like oh you know they've really got their testimony and they're, they're really strong and when people see that that those stronger quote-unquote people go there's that feeling of like oh my goodness like how how have they gone you know and and, and may, maybe there's that feeling of being a bit more exposed themselves which which i understand but it, but of course for me at that time in that position you know i was it felt like I was left with nothing you know there yeah. wasn't anything I could sort of lean on um, I, I think what's what I haven't ever really heard <clears throat> being sort of analyzed is as an adult we know when someone's mad at us even if they haven't said we, we know that and if we're talking about interactions in church where we want to say it feels childish or it feels insignificant or we're looking too much into it. Someone didn't smile at you in a church corridor or someone didn't, like like you say, comment on something that they would normally comment on or whatever that looks mm. like. Um, it, it seems like it should be trivial and nothing, but actually having grown up with a ward family, people who are invested in you, when you feel a change of that dynamic, there are very, very small things that lead mm. you to feel rejected because in some level, you kind of have been, there is a change. And you maybe can't even quite put your finger on what it looks like. But, you know, most certainly, Alana and I were, were just talking um, just recently, you know, we, we've sort of been in a position where, you know, we, we know that what we do, as much as we try to be super, um, super balanced and very honest, we, we don't, we're certainly not attacking the church, but 
mm. nor are we, you know, we, we're in this space of just honesty and having tough conversations mm. and, and saying what's really in our hearts. Um, we know it causes pain. And mm. so, you know, I, I have chosen, you know, not to attend particular ward activities because I know that that's how I'm going to make someone feel. I, and I would rather not, if it was sort of a Sunday experience, that's a little bit different because there are sort of rules and structure and there's less of a sort of mm. socialness to a service activity where, and, you know, for the first time ever, I think Alana experienced it in quite a indirect but direct way that if you were to explain it to anyone else, they'd be like, oh, come on. And you're mm. doubting yourself, did did that really happen? What, you know, maybe. Mm. And you're making excuses and you're rationalizing it. But we, I, I think we do ourselves a big disservice when we don't give credit to what is really happening as human beings. All of those small connections that we make, all of those nods, all those smiles, when that's mm. suddenly not there, Mm, you, know, you notice that, yeah. And, and to be clear, I, I was I was speaking in past tense there. You know, of of that kind yeah. of feeling of, I'm am I, am I being tri trivial about those those thoughts? But you know, for, yeah, yeah. for me, it was more about um, looking at patterns and the. Mm. It's just a weird kawinky dink that you know. All of a sudden, I'm just not hearing from more than half of the people who I normally talk to. You know, that's just from from that for one particular group. At, around this particular time when yeah you know it's come on <laughs> yeah yeah it's exactly a, it's, it's, a, it's a bit silly but but yeah but I but I also had interactions um privately you know where people would tell me to, yeah. to not to not talk about those things and um you know I, I was aware of people blocking me and, and things like that so it's not mm. it wasn't just in my head you know well yeah exactly and some of it is more overt and you know, and also we get to see the very best of, you know, Mormon people that people who can also be bloody brilliant. And mm. and I really love that. I think that's where you really see someone's heart is, you know, in that space where people just give you grace without mm. having asked for it, without um, any judgment or comment. And whatever's going on in their head, you know, that's that's not part of your the story of your relationship. I, I yeah, I love those people. Um mm. You then embark on this incredible journey where you are where you are right now. Um, you are, I am so proud of where you are right now. It's so great to see you seem happy. You have this fantastic practice. You, um, your insights are wonderful and healing. You gave a fantastic presentation at Sunstone that everyone was talking about which I didn't get to see. So I've been super excited to have this conversation. But I wanted to ask you this um, sort of bigger question of the church as an institution. So I started spending a little bit of time on TikTok. You know, you go on for five minutes, it turns into mm. five hours and there you go. And having kids with different types of backgrounds and needs, having OCD, having friends with them, you know, all sorts of mental health conditions, naturally the algorithm brings you exactly to where you need to be. And mm. so, yeah, therapy talk kind of comes up a little bit on my timeline. And so often I hear a simple question um, that, that prompts you to think, I think, oh my goodness, 
this applies to church. You're talking mm -hmm. about family relationships, but you could be talking about my my faith system. So I want to ask you, um, as a as a counselor, does the church itself need therapy? Um yes, but in, in the same way that everyone needs therapy, in my opinion. Right. That's not because I'm trying to sell myself to you as a therapist. It's because everyone needs to have a healthy space to heal. Mm. And the church as an entity needs to heal. And it and is plagued by the past and plagued by decisions that have been made and you know that the feeling that it needs to continue certain things you know gung-ho about certain things that you know you ask you know is this the hill you want to die on sort of thing you know you're not able to create space to adapt um i think if the church if the church was a person like an actual you know human being who you could interact with um i think you'd actually feel quite um I would feel quite sorry for the for the person. It's it's easier to get angry at the um, at the institution because it's so distant and it's this thing, it's this entity that's just rah, you know, it makes decisions and you know that you don't agree with and it and because of how large it is, it has sweeping effects. But if it was a person, it it would be someone who um, I think the church is very scared a lot of the time. It's very someone who's very frightened about how it's perceived by other people, you know, feels the need to um, yeah, ma maintain certain things that, that ideally, you know, it might be, it might be healthy to not necessarily need to hold on to. Um, and aren't we all like that? Mm. You know, in, in that way, the church is quite, can be human. In, in that sense you know how we can sort of re relate to it but but it is different because it is an institution and I, it frustrates me that the I always forget that the who did this quote but you know it, I think it's something like you know in, an institution will you know will sort of look after you until until it's in trouble and then it will always protect itself yeah. and that's the that's the difference I suppose between um maybe seeking help from an institution like that and seeking help from therapy um from a therapist or from support groups or people that don't have a stake in your game you know it's like you know your decisions are your decisions and you know you can you can do what's right for you um and the church um has values and it has a way of and beliefs that 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 would suggest that if you live this way then you will be happier and i think that most of us would probably have similar ideas ourselves about how you know what that looks like but i think sometimes it oversteps the mark in terms of you know but if you don't follow this you know whether it's over or it's or it's subtle ways of um suggesting to people that they need to do something otherwise you can't live with your families but the stakes are high i think that's like again it just hits home again to me because i've talked about this before but 
I was so invested in that and I really believed that for so long that I could only truly be happy in the church. And I think I said this either last week or the week before. I have never felt happier in my life and in such a good place in my life as I have now since I have no longer attended church and had that what I call control over my life because so many decisions were made by the church on how I lived my life. Then from that came the guilt, the shame when you didn't get it right. And I can honestly say, and that, you know, I make the jokes about, has the light gone from my eyes, you know? And I just think I've never been happier. I'm like, Jane can totally attest to this. I have been, now obviously when I first left the church, I had that period of anger, hurt, frustration, all the things I wasn't in a good place. But now at this time in my life, I have never felt happier in my life Mm. than I have. And I'm coping a lot better with my mental health. And all the various things than when I was attending the church for all those years on and off. And so I, I I guess for me, I just feel that whole situation where they say the happiness within the church is just another form of control, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, and it's such a shame because it, it it's just it continues that you know that polarizing kind of feeling that we all hate. Like everyone hates that feeling of just being you know, like apart from each other and that, you know, like and something unhelpful that you can sometimes hear is the exact same thing that people who are out of the church will talk about people in the church be like, oh, well, you know, they can't be that happy because, yeah. you know, if they really knew that they were under control of this and, you know, they're being manipulated in this way and stuff, but it's like, you know what, they seem, they seem pretty happy with their life, you know, like I'm, can't we just be happy for each other? You know, it sounds really like hippy dippy, but you know, can't we just? No. If, if, I... if, if you found a way to be able to make your life work in something, that that's that's great. But hopefully, at the same time, wouldn't it be nice if we could we could share things that were that were more honest, not necessarily critical, but like feedback that could actually you hear it from someone and be like, you know what, I do do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'll I'll think about that. Yeah. I love that. That would yeah. be ideal. <laughs> it, it would be healthy. I mean, honestly, my I would love to just go through every tweet, every Facebook comment, TikTok, you know, whatever it is, so often saying it's complicated. It's more nuanced than that. Let's let's think about this a bit more. You know, there's just, there's so, so much. As a human being, I want certainty, but... I don't know. I I find it really interesting to think about therapy from a British perspective. Therapy, um, it, mm-hmm. I've always thought of it as a Mormon, as an American thing. Um, mm-hmm. People in America talk about therapy, and everyone's in therapy, and it's because maybe there's a lot of neuroses and unhealthiness, and and how you know a particular demographic is working. I don't know. I don't know, but it's just not really been so much of a British thing Mm. um what does now that in saying that I have been a recipient of therapy um but not necessarily the sort of it's been more with a view to sort of um deal with what would do we need a diagnosis for mental health so OCD Mm. um you know as, as a child for how to sort of deal with with panic attacks and so it would be fairly short it wouldn't require a lot of self work um Mm. it it was it was sort of very 
let's find out as a sort of almost treatment how how we're going to approach this. Now, things have really changed over the past even just 10 years. But yeah, what do we do with therapy in the UK? Why do we need it? And what does it look like? Okay. So I actually feel so prepared, you know, just that I've got notes here. This is great. Okay, so just to go over, this is just top of my head and it's it's a few points. It's not an exhaustive list, but things that that I can, I suppose I can speak to as both a recipient of and a administer of (laughs) um, therapy. So um, it can validate your experience. So it's very easy to um, to doubt yourself, to feel like you're kind of again, kind of losing your head a bit with with what's with what's going on. Um, it can help you process your experience. So just just by being able to walk through it um, with in in a space which is confidential, that you're not you're not thinking about oh, but if I say this, then it's gonna come across like this and it'll impact me in this way in this way in this way you can speak openly um you can speak with someone who you know i spoke earlier about the you know with the church having a stake in the game there are no stakes in the game Mm. you know that the you know that the therapist will want you to um hopefully be your best self and to find ways of coping and, and managing life that works for you and that's hopefully that's kind of the extent of it really it's just wanting to help you but how that looks is kind of you know up to the person um it can provide tools to manage um situations feelings emotions you know things that just in the moment are very very hard to 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 go through and to and to think you know every time I interact with this person, we end up fighting or, or, you know, whenever I go to work, I feel like I'm bullied or belittled by this person, you know, and, and not really realizing, oh, maybe, maybe I've, I have a boundary. I have an issue with boundaries. Why do I have an issue with boundaries? What is it about boundaries that makes me uncomfortable? You know, it's just, you can go from one thing to the next and you can't really have, you, you can have conversations like that with, with friends and family and, and that and that absolutely has its place, um, you know, sort of providing that they're sort of safe safe spaces for you. But it allows you to be able to freely speak in, in quite a unique way. Um, it feels safe and it feels contained, and with someone who is able to contain that that you bring, um, you know, without sort of a lot of us, you know, with our own loved ones. That's why we don't you know we don't counsel with our loved ones in that way um because you have a stake in the game you want to rescue Mm. them you know they're hurting you want to stop the hurt and the therapist will 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 look at the situation differently you know and, and and deal with it differently than maybe the people who are around you so those are some some reasons you know why it is a help helpful thing Talk to me a little bit more about, um, I think that would be a pretty common thing. If you have good friends and a family support network, isn't mm-hmm. that all you need? Um, it, it, it depends what the issue is, really. Yeah. Um, 
if you're having issues with your um i don't know i'm tr i'll try to paint like a scenario of of you know how we'll, we might tell a story and, and we might just say, you know, we'll say our accounting of it. We know full well that, that we are just giving our own account. And the person who, who we know will be hearing that account and they'll be getting riled up at the right times or they'll be getting upset at the right times because all they've got is your point of reference. And that's not that they're doing anything wrong or you doing anything wrong, but the fact that you're you know you're both in it you're both mm. you're both in this this kind of arena you're not in, you're not really able to see things from outside of what's going on you're and, only, and let you've me only just, got that point of reference yeah let me just own that because i make that really clear when you know when alana and i are uh, are sharing a dynamic and we're having a <laughs> our, um we can't even call it a therapy session what was it a rant session i don't care what the other person's perspective is, what is the context, is there anything unhealthy? I'm just there for you. Um, I, I, you are completely right, 100%, and uh, nothing else matters. I got your back, girl. That's that's all I need to know. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe actually not, well, it's not what, what you do. It's, you know. I've always said I think my mum should be a therapist because my mum's always annoyed me like when I've went with a little problem or a little rant about something. And she mm. always, always turns it around. But have you ever thought about it this way? Or and you're like, can you just agree with me for goodness sake? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it yeah. really hates me. But I know that she does have a point. Oh, uh, see, I'm an enabler. I, I will absolutely. Uh, that is not true. I mean, we we do. We get we get really sort of you know we do go deep and you know and and I think I try to be helpful. But yeah, my default setting is. I got your back. I am in this with you. I don't care. Uh, I don't need to know another person's perspective because the only important thing in this story is you right now. Mm. Um, so to have someone... Mm -hmm. finished there, carry on. No, I don't. No. You go. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I think taking it from the other angle when you said, but you've got a great family and friends support. Hmm. I do have great family and friends, but from a patient's perspective, if it came to something that I really needed therapy about, I find it very difficult to go to people who I'm close mm. to. I find it very difficult to say how I really feel. So I think I've always found it easier to tell mm. a therapist or a CPN or, you know, how I really feel, whereas I wouldn't go into probably as much detail with mm. a family member or, you know, with Jane, I'm an open book. She gets it all. Yeah. But, you know, that, that we've got such a close relationship there that I can do that. And I'm not saying I'm not close with my family, but I think sometimes I know in, my head, I know in my head I always think, I don't want to go to my friends or family with my problems because mm. they've got enough of their own problems to deal with and they're dealing with this and they're dealing with that. So I think when it comes to to the crunch, it is I needed therapy and, and I went and got that support because mm. it wasn't working. I thought I could get through it with the support of my family and friends, but it wasn't working, mm. so I had to go and get that extra support. Well, actually, what I think really is, is, super, um, is super relevant I, I I'm sure my husband is is watching. He's he works in London midweek. So um yeah, we're talking about you guy. He wouldn't if, if I'm having a massive OCD spike and behaving in ways that I don't actually realize in the moment are, are symptoms. 
um, he just loves me. He is accepting mm. of whatever I'm like and whatever moment, if I'm having a rough day, he'll, you know, he's in it with me. Um, mm. Alana will notice. Um, oh, I mean, I, I, we're not even talking about like hours, days. We're, we're talking about months. <laughs> like mm. Charlie just sees it in a very different way because he loves me. Now, Alana loves me, but she has a little bit more distance. Now with that, again, to be able to sort of have a therapeutic relationship where someone isn't so invested in, mm. you know, isn't isn't looking at me with a need to, I am right about everything, you know, and it gives me the space to be human and vulnerable and not right, I think is incredibly mm. freeing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I look like, just wanted to piggyback of what Alana said as well with the you know if your experience of mental health is that you're you're really becoming quite low or you know you're you're kind of you feel like you're losing control of things that that doesn't take, tend to be the point where you start thinking oh but I've got I've got so many people that love me and I've got all the support in the world that's when you start to doubt everything that you think and everything that everyone else is thinking about you and thinking actually I'm probably more of a burden actually I don't think they like me at all you know, and it, mm. it, it's very quick that, you know, it becomes isolating. But knowing that there's that other person who who is there to just walk with you as you're walking or crawling on the floor, that they're, they're just there to, to walk with you and talk and figure things out. And they can just do that in a unique way, like I say, with... Um, with family members that they're naturally their their own experience and connection with you is going to leak onto you because that's the nature of your relationship you your your lives are entwined whereas that that distance that a therapist has with you is it can be that vital difference where you're able to to really express yourself in a way that that is unique to that process um, Al Alana and I both have children who are um, sort of at the mercy of the diagnostic uh, system, um, which at one point was fairly easy to access here in the United Kingdom, but today is so overwhelmed with specifically children who who need mental health support or you know even something that could easily be um, identified in maybe a session or two um, it, unless a child is in crisis um, to the point where they are um, and you know we should put a bit of a trigger warning out you know out here at the moment where a, a child is suicidal and is actively um, feeling suicidal it is practically impossible to be referred to mental health support and um, so it means that when you know there's a child with potentially autism ADHD um, or who requires just some sort of mental health support and processing is going through anxiety depression all of these things are unfortunately they're, they're just not accepting referrals at all so it is really awful and you know it's important to say that you know we do have a, a list of helplines that um queen sarah elizabeth there in the comments is, is able to is able to to post for us um if there's a child in danger at the moment um you know do call emergency help we so we we have this this sort of situation where we've got children who need support um but they can't get it 
and mm-hmm. and in the instance sort of of you know one of my children who you know it, it really isn't you know the, these things are very very serious with early intervention their lives could look very very different um mm-hmm. so at the moment we have to sort of plod on now i'm asking questions like um when a when a sort of referral knockback comes out it's it's literally saying you know you've got good support um you know that that I seem to be doing a good job and that that's that's going to be fine that's all you need at the moment um Mm. and I'm not able to do some very very specific things um I can't help the the child that is you know that we are privileged to be able to to have as ours I can't help them figure out when you're struggling right now, is it your mother's voice that you're hearing? Is Mm. it ADHD? Is it potentially, you know, OCD? Is it the anxiety disorder that you know that you've been diagnosed with? Which thing is it that's happening? And and getting curious about what's happening for Mm. a child is very, very scary. And so I can be a safe person, but I don't have those skills to be able to help you figure that out so you become sort of almost stuck in this holding pattern um of having to do whatever it is that will get you through the day and that could be school refusal that could be you know I just I cannot do I I avoid situations I you know things that are going to overall increase the symptoms rather than be beneficial Mm. yeah I guess I'm just thinking about how necessary not having that that kind of you know big support is um mm. but then there's the ground shift of um i you know the the sort of other example we, we i have a child who has um a, a brain injury since before birth and it's come with natural mental health um difficulties because he can't communicate um in neurotypical ways mm-hmm. and so he experiences things like cuteness aggression so if he sees a baby he really wants to see the baby and hug the baby and hold the baby but oh my goodness it's all going wrong and now I'm going to squeeze the baby and I might bite the baby and it's and so he is desperate to hold this baby and to have this interaction but he becomes so distressed because you know and, and he's actually quite to the point where we couldn't let Ronan near a baby and it's awful to watch um it's distressing for the parents and things like that as well. Now we've we've figured out sort of workarounds that if a baby comes to visit, they can be at his at his window and they can have that safe interaction where he can do it and know that he's not going to cause any any hurt. And that's been quite freeing. But similarly, when Alana is um when Alana was visiting and I had I was sort of explaining of Ronan's really really struggling because when he is completely overwhelmed and he's lashing out and he doesn't want to hurt mum but you know he's he's lashing out and it's starting to all go wrong and then he ends up feeling so awful that he's given mum a really sore squeeze and then he's devastated in this cycle and then Alana was able to say oh I get that so when that happens this is what it feels like and I've had these moments, you know, between Alana, who's had an insight of cuteness aggression, of um, <clears throat> the sort of need to lash out and be unrestrained and the awful remorse after it, 
to an actual therapeutic session where someone has asked a question like, so what happens in this situation? Um, is it possible? Have you considered it like this? And it feels like your whole, like the ground changes beneath your feet. You, you Things sort of open up and you're like, oh my goodness, I have this insight about my child that I could not have had on my mm. own. Oh my goodness, this is going to help me so much as a parent and I am going to look at this differently and it is life-changing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I guess I want so many people to be able to have that experience for themselves. You know, that if you are experiencing something, you know, you had mentioned in that list of benefits, not feeling like you're crazy or the only one, someone being able to say, oh, okay, so when this happens, is it possible it's this situation? Is it possible that you need to get cold? Is it possible that, you know, there, there are physical things you can do or, you know, just to get curious about it, what, what's going on in your head when that's happening? Or I don't know, whatever that, whatever mm. that looks like with the therapist that you're, that you're speaking with. Mm. What, what do you do about finding a therapist? What, because there's a lot, my kids are quite concerned that, okay, there's going to be another adult authority figure. Mm -hmm. And I, as women in the church, um, I, speaking with a man, oh, you know, especially a man with a Mormon background, mm. that that's not going to be fun. Uh, so how do we find the right therapist? And how do we get over our own reservations about what therapy looks like? Okay. So the first thing I wanted to address before we get to that that bit is what to do before you even look for a therapist you know because okay. because it's not always an option for people you know for yeah. a variety of reasons you've spoken about um, having to wait you know ridiculous waiting times it might just be that you don't you don't have the the finances to like to to see someone as regularly as you'd like privately you know there's a whole host of reasons mm. why that just may not be an avenue and um, speaking from my my own experience as well of uh, you know or anyone who has had that that um, the experience of of feeling suicidal, you, you get to that stage because you feel like you have run out of options. Like you, there is no you are at the at the cliff's edge, and there is there is nowhere else to go. And so that that's kind of that's it for you that feeling of being trapped, you know, in your situation that is only progressively feeling more and more painful or the pressure that builds up or however you kind of experience it. That's the sort of thing that leads people to feel like they don't have any hope. So first of all, the question I'd ask is, you know, who are your immediate support, you know, your trust circles, who is in your, your mm. realm of, of safety? You know, is it family? Is it friends? Community people within the community? Is it within church? Is it school? Is it work? Just who is around you who you feel that you can speak to? It may it may not even be speak to in a deep, deep, you know, I'm really struggling sense, but just just a, a that safe first space of where you can just be a bit more of yourself. Um, there's 
you know so to think about that you know because they're the people who you can access generally speaking a lot easier than anyone else um gp services you know to be able to go to your gp and explain um you know uh so look yeah like how you're feeling how you know how is how you're feeling affecting your day-to-day -day life how is it impacting on your relationships is it affecting your employment is it affecting your eating your sleeping just kind of looking at all the different areas that that might be affected in your life that can give a greater picture to, to both yourself and the gp um or whoever you know whoever you're speaking with a greater insight as to what's going on and hopefully with that information more of an understanding what help you might need at the time mm -hmm. um there is also um there will be local um and generally speaking free um support groups you know in your local area i can't speak to whoever you know whoever might be listening but um there are often community-based um support groups of you know it could be mums it could be uh, men you know in, in in leeds you know yorkshire there's mint you know there's there there are these groups that are maybe for a certain kind of people um but there are groups that are free that you can attend in person and you can immediately feel that sense of of connection with other people that you're not alone a space where you can talk about what's going on for you and yeah it's not it's not solving your problem it's, it, you're not coming away from it saying oh yes you know that was the answer i needed now i can kind of walk off into the sunset but mm. it's that that connectivity and that human connection um that that, that can be massive because it takes yes. it takes you out of that isolation experience and that um if I you're love really that. yeah yeah if you're um you know if you're really struggling um and you're feeling quite inward and you don't feel like you're you can talk to family or friends like we said earlier you know you might be starting to wonder whether you know you're becoming a burden to people you know calling 111 there's 24 hour charities like samaritans um and you know i mean there there are lists i'm, I'm sure we'll be able to, to access them later but um you know that i've i've called the samaritans before and i got really annoyed at the not at the person but kind of i didn't realize that it was just a talking thing like it was just like i said my bit and then they were just like oh, okay well you know if you need to talk if, if you need to talk, talk again you can call us back and i wanted answers i, I wanted yeah. a back and forth dialogue but um but i know i know people that have absolutely relied on that other voice when they were really struggling to be able to connect to someone outside of their circles um and again it's free and it's it's mm -hmm. 24 hours that's something else you can access so i'm, wh I'm whittling through just to make sure no this is great this is really helpful as many, as many in um uh, crisis teams you know the, i mean the nhs is under a lot of pressure at the moment there's funding there's all sort of you know we we know the challenges there um but you know crisis teams you know mental health teams that that work with people you know you might end up being assigned a person to have sort of you know hopefully regular somewhat regular contact with you just to kind of see how you're doing um there's um something that i accessed um and i always forget about this but i i reached out um before i went 
uh, I went into hospital myself. I, um, I, well, I think I looked up some kind of like online um, therapy where I would just speak to and type to someone for a few hours just online, and you know that worked with my situation at the time, um, and it was free and it was great to just be able to have it out, you know, tapping away, you know, at, there's no didn't have to look at me or, or me look at them if that's an issue for you um there are services um one of which i i, I work with uh, myself which is um uh, people like uh, the uk counseling network um or other low-cost um, counseling services that provide um provide services for people who have less of an income but that you know they're still able to sort of contribute to something there so instead of paying you know 50 whatever quid you know you you might be paying like 18 you know for a session which um which is quite different um and of course there is private you know face-to-face -face online telephone counseling as well if you're able to if you happen to have the money and you're able to do that so that's a few those are things i thought it's important to know that there are there are ways of connecting and feeling like you are being borne up by mm -hmm. the people around you and it's not just oh but i can't see a therapist so you know where am i now that you know there are there are things and they're really quite wonderful things to be a part of um and i think anything that gives someone the the ability to make more choices or have control that you know you you can try this on and see what it looks like when we get super desperate and we're in that crisis moment where nothing works i've tried this nothing's going to help and we've got that all or nothing thinking this is you know we're at absolute emergency point mm. if we are um in periods where where we can sort of take that step back and think okay well what could this look like is it worth trying some of these um you know sort of uh, from scotland we we have the um samh the so the scottish association for mental health who have local support groups um that, that can do sort of one-to-one -one, um matching and things like that i mean they, it, it's funny that i don't necessarily jump to these things um you know you sort of think oh if someone needs therapy it has to look like you sit and listen and I sit and talk and actually it, it, that's really empowering so thank you for these mm. um I think also and just to do a shout out for you know Nicola Brophy in the comments um who's part of um the the sort of broader uh, is involved in thrive uk um has done some sessions at sunstone for people who maybe just you, you know one of the things you struggle with alana is is to find the words for it as as mm -hmm. um you know so maybe some of the stuff that that you're you're experiencing is just is pre-verbal or you just don't have either the capacity or you're just not in a place where you have the language to be able to talk um that you know art therapy is something that um that is really interesting uh, that that you don't have to have that that background in there's also you know to do a, a huge shout out for for thrive itself which is bringing people together in a post mormon space to talk about these things because that loss of community 
is huge and there's such a sort of therapeutic element to that um you know sunstone there's there's lots of um that type of thing happening so whether you are an active member of the church who could benefit from what therapies can look like whether you've taken that distance or you're just in that sort of holding pattern having choices is everything mm -hmm. yeah, thank you yeah just agree so <laughs> yeah so if someone wants to if someone uh, wants to find a therapist okay so um it can be overwhelming and it can be confusing because there's a lot of abbreviations and acronyms and, and all sorts of things but to kind of narrow it down what you want your counselor to to have so you want a counselor to be registered with, with an official body you know, which, you know, something like the BACP, you know, the British Association for Counseling Psych Psychotherapy, that's the one with um, UKCP, NCS, ACP, blah, 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 doesn't matter. They are all, they're there to, counsellors work towards ethical frameworks and um, it's a way to make sure that, that the counsellor is upholding a certain standard um, mm. So it's less like a kind of, I suppose like a free, and I kind of picture this cowboy like counselor who kind of just like yeah, just does his own thing and like it it's to it's to give confidence to the person receiving counselling that they are going to get a minimum, you know, of of this level of um, therapy because the person who in order to be registered needs to go through. A number of steps in order to retain that that sort of position so it can sometimes instill that confidence that you know that there are people who the, the therapist is also accountable to if they don't if they're not upholding that so that that's important um your counselor um should be um receiving monthly supervision you know so counselors don't um they don't talk about people they talk about issues you know they talk about circumstances ways of working with people with the supervisor so everything still remains confidential but it just means that you know that they're able to get extra insight from, from a very experienced um counselor themselves um so again it's a way of making sure that your that your counselor is doing what they should be doing as as a you know ethical um health practitioner um you can contact counselors through directories like the BACP for example has a um a directory where you can look at location you can look at price you can look at you know whether you want to do it face to face or um or online or whatever kind of works for you um and naturally there's websites on Instagram Facebook you know there's there's you can look around there'll be There'll, there'll be people who you can contact and with today's world with, with things being very kind of online now anyway it's 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 that bit easier to find someone who might be more suitable for you um and to what to expect so i don't know what your what you know either of your experiences of of counseling are but a lot of people have that in their minds they're on a couch and there's a dude with a clipboard and is just mm, i see you know just the i don't know this this kind of weird dynamic of just this this smart professional who's just 
there to fix your problems and psychoanalyze you. Um, that literally was my experience <laughs> of <laughs> of um as a as a 15 year old who um w kept referring to me as miss and then my surname uh oh. and i was so uncomfortable you know because he, he kept doing it and it's because we don't i'm a kid nobody mm. calls me that and in, in real life it's weird yeah. you use my first name and he's like it's so that we can keep professional boundaries mm. and i'm like oh i'm never going to be able to talk to you yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it was yeah so yeah it's a very I think I think it's you know people picture Freud and these kind of you know they're imagining what counseling looks like and we joke I joke about it but but at the same time it it can kind of create this this intimidating experience of just you're going to see someone because you are there's something not going on upstairs you know it's it's that kind of I'm I am really you know, I've become really deficient or dysfunctional. And I, you know, on, only people who are mm. really like, you know, on the other end, of the spectrum are like, you know, they're the people that, that need the therapy. And I think that's, that might, that might speak to some of your, what you were saying um, about the Britishness of, of how people see therapy when really this is what happens. <laughs> and you know, there's also the baggage of, um, you know, any, if you're a member of the church and you're having a hard time, the advice is go and have a talk with your bishop. And mm. so, uh, you know, when, and when you do that, great if it goes well and you you hit the jackpot, but there, it, like you say, there's all of these things that don't happen. There is no accreditation. There is no supervision. There is no um, sort of best practice. There's no identifying of biases, any of those mm. things. But for me, I go with a feeling of, shame like there's there's something that's wrong there's something that I am out of alignment with in my life and that mm. they have this ultimate authority and I think that's kind of what I'm I guess maybe I'm getting at that you know for for women if we're if we're sitting with someone in a space where just simply you know someone as a as a man that can be enough to be really quite intimidating and in that it's possibly setting up a dynamic that I am used to you have the last word and the authority and I really at the end of the day want you to tell me what to do next mm. yeah exactly and you know you can you can also go for a female counsellor yeah well <laughs> or, exactly or any, anywhere anywhere on the spectrum that you know that makes you feel comfortable you know you can yeah. shop for counsellors you can go and meet a person here and if you don't feel like it's working which is absolutely fine you can mm. you can meet someone that just think you seem great you know it's not me it's you it's not you it's me like you know it, it just doesn't jibe and that's absolutely fine because that that you're human beings that that is what happens but um kind of moving to like i suppose you know what what to expect you know from your from your first session would be that you would um you would go through a contract and this is important because the contract states from the get-go what you know what you're wanting to you know how you're going to work with each other you know things things within it talk about confidentiality it talks about you know what happens if we don't you know someone isn't able to make the session um practical things but also within it is that sense that you know we are making that commitment to each other you know that we're going to that we're going to work together and this is a you know it's it's more than a formality 
um, it's yeah that that sense that you know you're you're putting your your trust and energy into the other person and that you're you're going to work with them. But like I said, contract keeps you safe as well. It keeps you safe from malpractice of the therapist. It keeps the therapist safe from someone who's trying to cause harm, you know, to the therapist because of whatever's going on with them. Um, but it's important that there is a contract that happens. That's it's very key. Um, I I initially do like a well-being check so I kind of ask a number of kind of lifestyle questions which just to give me context of what's you know what might be contributing to how you're feeling you know and that's any for anything from sleep to you know how your libido is at the moment to do you take any medication do you have any formal diagnoses you know what's your GP practice you know like just just giving that basic picture um and then I give the time to you to just talk about what what is it that's made you come? You know, what is it that makes you want to seek help at, at this time? You know, and allow the person to just be able to express. And then you can kind of get a sense, you know, you kind of get the sense from each other whether or not, you know, you kind of want to continue working with this counselor or with this this client the counselor might realize based on what they un understood that you know i recognize that you have these needs i know someone that i think will be really good for you and they might be able to pass you on to someone else so there's a lot mm -hmm. of counseling counselors are, are really great networkers you know they, they are really uh, quite unselfish from my experience in the way that they will just connect with other people if they think that there's a better fit for you so it's they can help you in your search for a, a more appropriate counselor you know just by having that initial meeting with them and it could be that having that initial meeting might open up to you as well you might realize during that thing oh oh this is what I want to talk about I came in thinking it was going to be this and it might be something else um, and and that's it. And and, and the pro the whole process has worked around what what it is that you bring and what what it is that you want to get out of it. And hopefully the counselor will be able to help you along whatever path you want them to go with you on. I love the idea of being uh you know a, a nation, a community, a, a world of people who are in a space where they can be more well adjusted. Uh, you know that, that they've got that space that they can they can work on the things that they need support with they can be self-reflective that I, I love the idea of being humans who can who can work on all of the things rather than dealing with them in really unhealthy ways I, I feel like we're at a time in our history where this kind of self-reflection is is more accessible than it has ever been and that gives me so much hope for what then is possible for our future um we are going to have to wrap up um but i want to make it super clear to our audience guys will be hearing from david again we're going to ask him to come on um a lot we've got some panel discussions in the works and of course don't forget that next week we are going to be giving you our update 
on all of the things that we've been doing with our donations, all of the things that you need to know about what is happening with the safeguarding project. And I got to tell you, it is pretty exciting. We are delighted. This is uh, something that you're going to want to stay tuned to. We are really aware that in our community at the moment, especially in light of the things that we have been talking about, especially in light of the events of last weekend on the events of Transgender um, Awareness uh, Remembrance Day, we, we've been through a lot in this faith community and we continue to go through a lot. If you need help and support, it is out there. Um, and we will include all of the things that David has been talking tonight in the show notes. If you know someone who, are, who is at risk, act now. If you feel like you could benefit from using any of these services, we would really encourage you to do that. If you've been affected by any of the things that we're talking about, please do reach out and we can signpost you to someone who can help. Please don't be alone. Um, to close out tonight, um, Alana, do you do you want to share any closing thoughts? Or remember, you can say no, Alana's obviously having a bit of a day. Yeah, I've got... <laughs> You're all good. You're all good. Um, I, I guess on Alana's behalf, I, you know, I would just thank everyone again for all of the donations, and um, I know that Alana is a big advocate for um, for support services. It is super important. Um, David, if we come back to you, do you want to close out with any final thoughts about the things we've been talking about tonight? Um. Yeah, I guess like from from what you said, you know, with anyone who who this might kind of really affect, you know, from things that we've been speaking about, um, that there are there are places to go and there are people to 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 speak to, and you know, whether it's a therapist or you realise that oh, there's that person I've just not spoken to in ages that you know I I used to be able to talk to all the time. You know, wherever you find it, um, there are safe places to to go and um, if anyone has any um any any kind of con concerns you know about other people or if there's any like kind of additional questions or things that people aren't sure about um or you know they want to go over anything that we've kind of spoken about um you know get, i'm happy to to talk to them you know outside of this this space and um yeah thank you don't, so don't, much don't keep it to yourself absolutely um you can find out more about specifically David's work at, uh, I believe it's davidshepherdcounselling.co.uk. Um, it is in the show notes and the chat notes if you need a quick link to it, but please don't hesitate to get in touch. Um, You're going to come back and join us again, right, David? Yes. Thank you for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely. We are so delighted to have you and thank you so much. Okay, audience, we will catch you here next week. What do we need to let you know about? The Brett Vengers pantomime. Uh, yeah, you're going to want to be there. We, this is going to be awesome. We have the incredible Radio Free Mormon who will be narrating the story of Cinderella. You have got the hottest cast in all of Christendom. And if you're American and have never seen British pantomime, oh, you are in for a treat. It's going to be fabulous. Um, we're going to update you on our work and uh, we are really excited. So please do stay in touch. You can find out more about our work at 21stCenturySaints.org 
And if you need anything, please drop us a message. Don't forget to like and subscribe and we'll see you at the same time next week. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. See you later.